What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by two special guests, former NBA veterans and co-hosts of the Knuckleheads podcast, Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson. They're going to join me to discuss what's next for their podcast. They've had a couple of nice guests recently, including Bam Adebayo and Stephen Curry. So make sure you check that out, uh, those episodes in that podcast. We'll talk about their playing days with the Los Angeles Clippers and their NBA careers. Two fun personalities. Happy to have both of them joining me in studio now. Darius, Quentin, how are you guys doing, fellas? Oh, man, we doing good. Good, man. Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Appreciate you guys taking some time out. Um, you know, we, we've seen nowadays former NBA players getting more into the the podcast game, the media game. And I, I was curious for the both of you, how did the two of you kind of get into the whole podcasting space? You guys have had some fun interviews and some fun guests so far on the Knuckleheads podcast. How did the both of you come together on this? Uh, we uh, I did an article and uh, Q assisted me on it on the Players Tribune, and uh, after we did the article, uh, they liked what we kind of did together, and uh, we just came up with doing the show, and uh, and wound up doing the podcast, and we didn't know what a podcast was at first, and uh, then we started to know what it is and uh, uh, how it was formed, and you know we came together and started doing it. I mean, you guys have also had, like I touched on in the open, you had Bam Adebayo, you've had uh, Stephen Curry on as guests. Uh, what is like your vision, both of you guys, for the show going forward and just uh, any particular guests that you guys have in the works that you're uh, working on setting up some episodes for coming up? I, w- I would say that, you know, our, our, our vision is to continue, you know, I feel like we bring the unique perspective of, uh, you know, some some of the favorite hoopers that you, you know, that's come through. And, and it's, it's so many more players for us to continue to get and continue to bring their stories from a, you know, from a player-to-player standpoint. And, um, you know, we just want to continue to drive there. I mean, this this season coming up, we got some some great guests with, with Tyron Lue. Uh, Tracy McGrady, Teresa Weatherspoon, uh, CJ McCullum, Rashard Lewis, Michael Finley, Mike Finley, missing my OG. Can't forget about our OG, but, but, you know, and then, you know, others to be added. But, you know, we feel like that, that the formula that we got and, and, the, the style is not it's not really an interview when we sit down with guys. We sit down and we 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 know that we present a, a safe space for those guys to come in and they feel comfortable. And I think that's what really breeds the the good content and the good stories that we get because it's like we know that we're talking to our peers. I certainly think that's well said. I know from a media perspective, when I get guys on a podcast, whether it's a player or things like that, if you have a prior relationship with them, like I know you guys had did an interview with Spencer Dinwiddie previously. And, you know, if you ever get to know a guy like that, great person, um, having that closeness certainly adds to it. And, And you guys have shared experiences in a locker room that, you know, a common like journalist, you know, or somebody like that would not have. Um, you know, aside from the podcast, which you guys have done and, you know, it's obviously, you know, Darius, you touched about on uh, writing on uh, the Players' Tribune a little bit, too. Uh, for those that have kept up with you guys and watch you guys play over your career, 
What else have you guys been up to individually since you hung up your sneakers and you've uh, left the NBA? My part is doing the podcast mostly, uh, trying to create other shows outside the podcast, kind of building around that. That's what I've been doing most of my time with lately. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of everything we do. I mean, the, the, the podcast for, <clears throat> for Darius as well as for me is kind of like been the, you know, been the platform that just led us into this, you know, second second career. I, I mean, you could say uh, after after actually playing professionally. So for us, uh, we definitely continuing to, you know, build out the, you know, the podcast and, and the knuckleheads of the platform and continue to bring, you know, different unique stories and all our content to you in different ways because, you know, the world is changing so quickly. But uh, also, you know, not being close to doing other things. We also involved in, in different types of media, you know, and, and, and are open to those things as well. Yeah, and I, I do like uh, like high school game, high school classics that I just started uh, doing it with Showtime and, and other stuff. Just getting the kids out. But the podcast is basically like the main focus of everything that we're doing and basing shows off that. You know, did you guys, while you were playing, kind of envision doing something like this, whether it was the podcast or not? Like a lot of times, you know, people say when they're done hanging up their sneakers, well, you know, I want to go into coaching. I want to try to go into a front office, something like that. This is more unique. And this is, I would think, just as much fun because you guys are chopping it up with your peers and just having a fun dialogue back and forth. I mean, did you guys ever uh, consider that, whether it was maybe going into coaching or maybe a front office role, anything like that? Nah, I would say, I was like, like they said earlier, this is something that, that we didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> to be real, we, up. Up. Yeah. we had never, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't listen to podcasts. We didn't really know they had really, really existed like that. So for us, it was like, okay, they, like, like he said, they saw the chemistry we had when I, when I was the, Code whatever it was on his on his um on his article, and um they saw that chemistry and they was like yo you know we started talking different things around the different things and you know we kind of came we landed there, but even when we landed there you know D was kind of apprehensive I didn't really know what it was but I was just trying to you know I just got through working in the front office and being being a scout for the pitching so I was trying to come to the media side and everybody was telling me this you know, just do stuff. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this then. So, you know, we both kind of, you know, jumped in not knowing what was going on. But I think, like B said, the relationships and, the, you know, the friendships and the things that we had cultivated and the thing that we weren't aware of, was, you know, the, you know, the, the place that we had in, in, in this whole thing and how people viewed us and the love that we had out there waiting on us, that that was the, the biggest surprise of everything that, you know, that the way people even remembered the knucklehead celebration and remembered us. And now that we sat and we've talked to over 90 some guests and of our peers and the, to, to hear some of the coldest dudes that was the biggest people ever saying that they acknowledged us and knew about the knucklehead and even, you know, actually knew who we were and was looking at us like that was crazy and that's still crazy for us to hear when we sit down with different guys. Yeah, just to sit down with like players like Kobe and Shaq and and Derek Jeter and, you know, Steph Curry and all these other guys and just hear the stories of how they came up and, and moved along. Like cameras and microphones was definitely wasn't on the on the list of things to do. 
<laughs> it was definitely about telling stories, but uh, I'm loving and I'm blessed to have how we do the, what we do. I mean, yeah, look, certainly I think the platform helps too. And, and being with the Players' Tribune, it's a unique perspective for you guys to to share those stories like you talk about on a podcast. Um, and also, like you talk about the Knucklehead celebration. I mean, I come on, man, that, that's, that's a classic. You got that. I think of like Carmelo Anthony with the three to the dome. I think of J.R. Smith with the air guitar. It's like a fun, lighthearted celebration. And, you know, when you guys were all together playing on the Clippers, um, it was a young kind of vibrant team you guys like have fun and and you know you guys would have like highlight plays and whatnot so I, I think that added to it for sure and that's definitely one thing I did want to talk to you guys about um you guys both as teammates had a chance to play together when you were young guys you were young pups at the time basically coming into the league playing together I think I'm you know Darius I mean you were just at that point I think you're still a teenager I think you were 19 and Q wasn't that far ahead yeah, D was 19 and Q. I think you you came into the league at about 20 out of DePaul. And, you know, you guys. He was eight, Darius was 18. I was 19. Oh, OK. I got you. I'm looking at the uh, I was looking on B-ball reference for the for the ages when the season starts. But, yeah, you guys are still teenagers at that point. And when you guys got, got to play together for just in general, like. It's so different in that era, you know, as much before, like all the social media stuff as it is now. But at the time, as you both coming into the league as teenagers, what is that like from two perspectives behind the scenes, like going out with guys, you know, when most people are able to drink and go out to clubs, you know, you you're technically below the age for that. And then just like on the court playing against, you know, grown men at that at that time in your careers to start out. Well, for me, I was already, like, only time I played with guys my age was when I played in high school. Like, off the court, it was always playing with, like, college and pro guys. As, ever since I was, like, 15, I always played, like, levels up. So it was kind of, I was, that was kind of normal to me. But the, just the lifestyle of it wasn't, wasn't normal. You know, then going to L.A., one of the biggest cities in, you know, in America, like, that was surreal, seeing palm trees and the weather good. It rained a little bit more than what I thought it was. But, you know, it was uh, it was, it was rough to adjust to it. But, you know, having Q, having Keon, having Lamar, having like a young squad where we all relate and we was together. Like every time we on the road, we all going out to eat together. Like we did everything together, playing video games together, like. That made it easy. We were the youngest team ever in the league to be that young. And, you know, it made it easy because you had more guys. We, it was more young guys than it was older guys. <laughs> so that part was a definitely just an uh, easy adjustment. Yeah, I'd agree with that because it was like, you know, we came in, although, like you said, we we, we were the, the first the first and only team of our kind that had, like, you had five core guys that were literally Corey, me, Corey, Lamar Odom, Keon were all 19. You were, D-Miles was 18, and then I think Olo Candy was, like, maybe 21, maybe. Yeah, I think Lamar was 20. Lamar the same age as me. He going 80. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, we were definitely a, 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 you know, and like he said, we were all 
at the at the at the starting line of our career, you know, like and you, you know, Lamar was the big dog because he was a year older than us and he was all rookie and third and rookie of the year and all that stuff. So he he was the big dog, but how you say about going out, we we got rejected. Me and D Miles would get rejected at clubs on the regular until we got out there and we started to hang out. And, you know, we went out with LO and we met the right people and found out the places, okay, they going to look out for us and they just don't care at certain places. So we would go where we knew we could get in and stuff like that. But prior to that, we got, we were sitting out there like Lane plenty of times, like, damn, nah, y'all can't get in here, young fellas. And then you saw, I used to always say that it would be D Miles' fault because, you know, I was the 18th pick. D. Miles was the face. Everybody recognized him right away. Like, man, you the little high school boy that got it. And then it's all, it's over with. Right there. <laughs> he was the noticeable face. You know, he was the name, you know, Darius Miles. Number three pick, the highest high school pick ever at this point. So he was like, you know, they getting me caught up. You're right. I had a Kevin Garnett who just had his uh, jersey retired. That That's funny because you would think, like most people would think, oh, no, they're celebrities. Like they ain't going to really worry about that. You're like, you fine. But the fact that like the fact that that actually happened at some spot you guys like couldn't get in, I kind of find that a little funny because you, you wouldn't think that. You would think like people would be like, nah, come on, man. They, playing for the Clippers like and if anything you're gonna go in a club you're gonna drop some money you're gonna have a good time you know what I mean usually most people would look to the side on that that's that's kind of funny to hear that perspective man some people really you know really went by their code like you know they ain't trying to get in no trouble because if you take pictures in there some like you know that you get in some trouble because people gonna see that he's not of age and he could possibly be drinking alcohol or something so some of those spots really really went by the card on that. Some of them just was like, like you said, some of them did show love because like, hey, it's cool. These guys in the NBA, they're going to spend money and yada, yada, yada. But some places didn't do that. That is kind of funny though, man. And you know, you touched on like Lamar Odom and like Ola Wakandi. Like it is kind of crazy that those guys were, you know, <laughs> considered older for like such a younger group. But I, I got to touch on LO for a sec. Like, I mean, you know, Lamar obviously went on to go to the Lakers down the line in his career and and become a champion. But um, I don't know if people realized how much of a talent Lamar Odom was at the time coming in. I mean, you see like a lot of guys now, bigger guys handling the ball, rebounding, pushing in the pushing the break and things like that. But Lamar was kind of doing that a little bit ahead of the time. I'm curious from your perspective for the both of you, what what did you think of um, Lamar Odom's game? And it, it, almost like if there was an even higher ceiling that like he could have got to. I feel like uh, I would say this. I feel like we had the best Lamar Odom out of the Lake of Lamar Odom. Lake Lamar Odom was in the system, but the Lamar Odom we played with, it was like he was, Unleashed, like he used to go at folks every night, like left hand floaters, three pointers, pull ups, post ups, dunking on folks. Like he used to go ham, like all in with us. And like uh, his game was just like he's one of the guys that I seen. Like when I got there, like he definitely like was my guy. Like and it was crazy because we played the same position. So I used to go at him like crazy hard, but he was just my guy. I just love how smooth he was with the left hand. 
ain't go at him crazy hard. I did go at him crazy hard. I used to dunk on Lamar practice all the time. <laughs> what about like you, I, say, I love, I love that he was the dude. When we, when we got there, he was the, you know, he was the, out of us, he was the supersonic team. We all felt like he was, he was un, unbelievably talented. But I think, like you know, like like Demar said, he 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 probably did have a, a a higher ceiling or another level. But to know Lo is to know why he played like that. He was selfless. He 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 loved to pass and do all that other stuff and get guys involved. And he could care less. Like he, Lo would rather get about 17, 18 points, eleven rebounds, nine, ten assists, and a couple blocks than get thirty points any day. You ask him, and he'll. Like that was just how he was. He was just unselfish, and he—that's he, why he worked so well wherever he went. And when he went to the Lakers, it was like a perfect fit, like for that system, because he was unselfish player that did not, you know, distributing and initiating offense as long as he was a part of it. I mean, I think you guys brought up a good point about his uh, being in the system with the Lakers compared to you guys. You got to see more uh, real Lamar Odom. Like when I when I when Ben Simmons first came into the league, I know people were like looking at him as like, oh, could he be like LeBron? Could he be like Magic? I kind of thought of him as a little bit like a Lamar Odom kind of guy, like the young Lamar, like that you guys were talking about, unleashed and things like that. Um, just from my perspective, but you know, you also touched on like Michael Olawakandi. He was there. Um, he was the number one pick in a loaded draft in that '98 draft. Um, when he joined you guys, you know, I, I was just curious what, uh, like for him, anytime you're a number one pick, man, whether it was him, you know, Kwame Brown's of the world, like, you know, even Greg Oden, like th- th- you're always going to get a microscope on you. Like, I'm just curious what you guys thought playing with him, um, what kind of player he was and, and maybe why, like it didn't work out as much as people would have thought for him just because, Again, just anytime you're that status when you're a number one pick, like people are expecting like all stars, franchise guy type of guy and things like that. And that draft turned out to be crazy with like Dirk Nowitzki and Paul Pierce. This is the part, this is the part that people don't know. Like otherwise, he didn't grow up like the rest of us. He didn't play basketball until he got to college. His coach, he was like on some surreal Prince of Kings stuff, living overseas. And he said, I want to go to college in California. Mm-hmm. And he went, he picked Pacific. And it was like the people saw him on campus. The coach saw him on campus like, no, nah, no, nah, come in here, son. You need to do this. He had never played basketball before. Michael Oluwa Kenny had played more soccer and like, you know, foot, like, like football, soccer. I mean, he was overseas. So to know that, to know that he went from never playing to becoming the number one pick, that's an accomplishment. Like, people that pick up basketball that late don't get to go to the NBA, don't get to be a professional athlete. Yeah. And he was like, when he played with us, he was putting it together like all of us was putting it <laughs> yeah. to put it together. Like, like all of us had some type of talent in us to do a lot of things. Everybody had their own niche and all that stuff. And that's why it worked so much. We pushed each other, plus we rooted for each other just as hard. But with him, he was just trying to put it together. He was the number one pick. He, he tried his best to be as good as he can be. And at the end, he was a good teammate. I was about to say, at the end of the day, he was a good teammate. And look at the longevity of his career. And he was he was, he was was impactful during his career. So no matter what people say, you know, everybody trying to say this or that and have their opinions. But 
I have very low respect for people that didn't. If you didn't walk in these shoes and you didn't play in the NBA and you had to go through what these guys had to go through that they're talking about, I, I can't really take your word for it. I could listen when my peers are going to be critical of each other because we all had to go through the same thing. But for people to sit, fans and people that don't know what it takes to go through this thing day to day, it, it's tough for me to listen to them call somebody a bust or call somebody a name because everybody that play in that league, they know the value that each teammate and everybody that we got. They know the value and they know that they could play. And it's a lot of people that could play a lot better than they're allowed to play, but we all have to play our roles in the NBA. Well said on that. And I appreciate the uh, the context of that for Olo Wakandi. I don't think a lot of people do know that. Um, and being, you know how it is. Like when you look at that draft, people are going to be like, oh, Pierce, uh, Dirk, and those guys. Well, why didn't, you know, the Clippers go for that guy? You know, everybody always has like revisionist history. You see it too with, uh, even like when nowadays, like when the Knicks passed on like Michael Porter, people were saying the same thing. And then, you know, because like Kevin Knox was there. But every year that that type of talk always happens. The last uh, Clippers question I wanted to ask you guys um, during that time. Um, what, what was it like uh, with Donald Sterling as, as the owner? I mean, obviously, there was a lot of stories that came out, but you guys were both in the locker room. I was just curious your perspective, what uh, what he was like and if there were any particular stories with him that uh, stuck out to the both of you individually. No, 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 really. Like he, he just he just got the team a few years before we got there. So everything was like fairly new. Well, not new because we, <laughs> we practiced at Southwest College. Uh you know, we've seen them in the games or, or at team team functions and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's a little weird to us. Like, you know, we we was young. He looked like one of the guys off TV or something. You know, he was funny to us. But yeah, he was only there two years. Yeah. He, didn't, he, he, he started to be more present, present towards the end. Because I played four years to, like, maybe year three and four. He was kind of more present, but, like, we weren't really privy to any of the weird or crazy, crazy stuff. It started like he, I think he started to become more around, like right after we, right after I left. Because when I started to hear some of the different stories and stuff, like I was gone by then. But like, we didn't really witness, like he said, we thought he was flamboyant and a little different. But you know, we had seen a lot of that in, in, in LA. We, we from the Midwest, we weren't yeah, yeah. a lot of the stuff that we was doing. A lot of crazy stuff we were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I got you on that. I mean, and yeah, Q, you talked about like, you know, the years that you were there a little bit longer than D. After that, you individually, you went to Phoenix and you with uh, D'Antoni and those boys um, that year. That was a pretty good year for them. They were, I think that was the 62 win Suns team that was first in the division and, um, you know, lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Spurs. Um, Being on that team, um, what would, cause like this was before kind of the NBA got to the way it is now with more three point <laughs> shooting. And I feel like, you know, D'Antoni was kind of a little bit like ahead of the curve with the whole seven seconds or less, you know, just trying to get the shots up. What, what was it playing like for uh, D'Antoni uh, at that time? And, and, and that team, cause like you had, you know, future hall of famer and Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire was doing his thing and, you know, I mean, damn, yeah, Joe, a young Joe Johnson at that time too. Yeah. 
No, we it, it was that was listen. I say all the time when it comes to to far as far as success and winning and and as far as that was the farthest I've made it to and closest I've gotten to winning a championship in my career. Like that team was was, was was super fun. Like it was like we've had we've had Steve Nash, we've had Amari, we've had Sean Marion, and we've had um who am I missing? Steve Sean Tremore. And Amari, we've had all four of them on, and we're about to have Joe on the show soon. We had all of them on the podcast, and every time we all talk about how 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 dope it was, how we hung out together, how we basically came out of nowhere. Nobody, you know, they had us pick last to finish last in the division that season, and and you know we came in and took everything that storm, and it, it, it was like you know one of the most fun seasons. We all always say that we felt like if that version. That first season, that 0405, that version of the Suns, if we had a chance to run it back two, three years, like we 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 absolutely feel we would have got a championship out of that. But you know, after that, we had the one year, and Joe they traded me to New York, and Joe went to the uh, to the Hawks right that same year. So after that, it was never the same version. It's interesting you bring that up. That if that team would have brought got brought back, that you know what it could have been. Um, I mean, you know, obviously the Spurs during those days, I mean, they were as much a dynasty as uh, the Lakers in in the West. I just felt like you guys ran up against, it's just what it was, man. You ran up against uh, tough competition. I mean, were you you surprised that they never won? Like, you know, with that, I mean, ultimately, I know you and Joe had left, but they still had Nash. They still had um, Amari. And then they had Sean Marion there before they got uh, Shaq. But were you surprised they never won one? Yeah, I, I, I was. I mean, I, I could say I was surprised, but I also understood too, because I felt like it, it was a. You gotta understand, the competitor in me felt like if me and Joe were still there, that we would. And the pieces that I, I felt that you put in place, like Joe became an all star. I never became an all star, but I felt the way that we fit in with that team, that. That it would if you would have put some of those complimentary pieces around that that core, like we would have definitely won. But I felt like the pieces that y'all put, and like like I I felt like I was more exchangeable. But I felt like what Joe was, like they missed that. Joe was Joe was literally the 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 starting two slash three, but like he was the backup point guard when Steve went out. He moved to the one. Barbosa wasn't there yet. He was still like our shooting guard, and he was still like not not as polished as he became. So like that was what made made everything work. And when they lost, like yeah, they replaced. They brought Raja, and I can't remember who else. But like they oh, yeah. never, yeah, they never got that 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 backup point guard situation from that they had with Joe. They never got that shored up. It, it's funny too because Joe. I don't know if you guys ever heard, like, when he was even with Brooklyn, like Kevin Garnett called him Joe Jesus. I mean, Joe was, like, one of the most clutch fourth quarter guys that there was. I think he would have added that to you guys, um, to that team as well, if he would have stood. Um, but, yeah, like, cute. And then you go from Phoenix, you go to the Knicks. And, like, I know you talk about the talented roster that Phoenix had. I'm not saying the Knicks were on their level by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, Isaiah Thomas, when he was there – you when you play with the Knicks, you guys always I thought had talent. And again, now mind you, I'm like a native New Yorker, so I was there like at, at these games uh, when I was younger before I got into the media side of it. Um, I, I was curious why with those Knicks rosters, 
there was that talent there, but sometimes it didn't always result in as many wins as maybe you would have thought collectively. Like, look at all those guys that went on after, like Jamal Crawford, David Lee, like all these guys would go to different teams and they would do well. So I was curious why being being a, a part of those Knicks teams for a couple of years, why, why that talent didn't necessarily translate to wins when you had such a group of guys like that. Well, you have to look at the timing of everything. Like when you just when you just throw the names out there, it sounds crazy. You know what I'm saying? But if, when you look at the timing of everything and the and the mesh of, of everything that was going on, and that was what made it was like mixing mixing oil with vinegar. You had you had a Larry Brown, you know what I'm saying, who who was a all time great coach, one of my favorite coaches. But we all know that Coach Brown is one of the most stern coaches there is, you know what I'm saying, or there was. And so then you you have you have you got you had guys like a Jalen Rose, you had Steph Marbury, you had Steve Francis, you had uh Kelvin Cato, Jerome James, you had all of these veteran guys that were more toward the back end of their career than toward the prime, right? Not to say that these guys still couldn't turn it up and still could they could still do what they could do, but like they prime had kind of sort of see. I mean, if you look at what happened after they left the Knicks, that was like, you know what I'm saying? That was a telltale. That's why I say what I say. But then you had David Lee and all these guys. Maul was still relatively obviously he had a long way to go. But David Lee was a rookie when he got there. Nate Robinson was a rookie. Boston was a rookie. You know what I'm saying? So it was like the the mix was crazy. And then it was a chaotic like culture that they came into. So it was like, that was, that was the reason why everything was going haywire at the time. You touched on a little bit, but like Larry Brown, you know, after he coached Allen Iverson, you know, I thought, all right, him and Marbury, you know, he might be able to, in some ways, get the best out of Marbury. This is a guy that was an all-star player. He was the face of the franchise for the Knicks. And those two, you know, was like fire and ice. They just didn't mix. Was there anything right. that like behind, like why behind the scenes did that? Any other reasons why those two didn't uh, work out? And I mean, even for Larry, like Larry was there like one year with the Knicks. Like they they signed him to a long term deal. They thought it was going to work out longer than that. And Stefan, you know, he wanted to win, you know, in New York and be the face of the franchise. It just it didn't work out. Why? Why else, from your perspective, did did that not work with those two in in particular? Because they were always in the news. Yeah, I think um, I think that was that was just a product of a you know of a of a, of a horrible season. Man. You know, it did, it just, the season didn't go the way it wanted. We you know everybody wanted to it to go. Everybody had expectations and and this and that. And and, and you know in New York, the the noise is as loud as it is anywhere. So I think all of those different things, and then the fact that. Like I say, Coach Brown is a, is a, is a strict coach, and he, he brought in and he wanted us to play a way that, that, you know, obviously Steph wasn't accustomed to right away. And, he, he you know, they had their differences about different things. No different than, you know, it happens at, at a million different teams all the time. But, I mean, I think everything else that was surrounding it and everything that continued to happen, you know, the relationship went where obviously we all know it went. And you know, Coach Brown left after that year, and then um, you know that was that was that for that. But I mean, it was it was definitely a tough, crazy year. Last next question I have for you, and then I definitely want to touch on some things with Darius as well on, on his career too. Um, what what did you think of like 
you know, I, I touched on a little bit the talent. Like Isaiah Thomas was bringing in all these guys, and you mentioned how they were different um, at different points in their career. Like he brought in Eddie Curry, also brought in Zach Randolph. Like these were some of your other teammates as well at, at various points in your time in New York. Like what what did you think of what Isaiah was trying to to build there um, with you guys and to try and get New York back to winning basketball? Um, from a player's perspective with the talent, like he was trying to bring in and, and make it mesh together. Man, we <laughs> he was bringing killers in, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody you name, like when you name a Eddie, he had a he had a career year. I can't remember exactly which year it was. Zebo came in and did what he always did when he played that year. And I think the year after Coach Brown left, I want to say Steph had a crazy good year before he got injured because I think that was the year we got close to making the playoffs, but everybody got injured at the end of the year. But, um, you know, I, like I always said about Zeke as a as, a, as an exec, uh, if, if you go look at the people he drafted and the people he, he signed from Toronto to Indiana to New York, like, he 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 was he was signing players, you know what I'm saying? And he was it, it may not have always went down the right way or fit, but like he was signing dudes that was some that was hoopers. He was signing real hoopers. So I had number of respect for what he was trying to do and what he was trying to put together over there. Obviously we know it didn't you know, the things didn't pan out, but I mean, look at he, he drafted Wilson Chandler when nobody would have drafted him and Wilson became a you know what I'm saying, a, a however many years player in the league where nobody thought he was going to be that and he was yeah and he was even a piece that was in the mellow trade like to ultimately get the the star that they always wanted yeah i agree with you on that i mean darris also wanted such uh obviously on your career a little bit on a couple of different topics i mean um first off i mean q rich touched on it a little earlier you were the highest guy out of high school to get drafted even ahead of like Kevin Garnett who went fifth you know you got you went higher than that um first thing I was going to ask you is obviously there's the new rule now with kids that need to either go um to college or go overseas you know before coming into the NBA for a year I'm just curious as, as somebody who did it um earlier on in his career do you think kids should be able to go pro out of high school again yeah, I, I think you definitely should let kids make that choice for themselves, you know what I'm saying? And the organizations just have to do their job if they want to take a chance on that. But uh, I feel like straight out of high school kids, I feel like the ones that have had good careers, we got a lot of great ones on the track record, on the board that's, that did great things come straight out of high school. And one of them is LeBron James, <laughs> you know? So... I mean, you obviously touched on LeBron. You played with him when LeBron was just a rookie coming into the league. Um, I was curious as a teammate, like, obviously this kid got a lot. This kid, I mean, he's a grown man now. But when LeBron came into the league, he was a kid. And everybody was anointing this guy as, you know, the savior and, and the chosen one, the next big thing. Before he stepped onto the court, like, is you got, you know, you in the locker room, you had like Zydruna Silgaskis, you had like, you know, guys that had been in a league, like, did you all buy into that? Or you or were you skeptical at the time? Like, what what was your thought process on this this young kid from Akron coming into the Cavaliers that was supposed to be the next big thing? I mean, he turned out to be. But what was uh, the view at the time? Yeah, of course, we didn't know he was 
going to become who he is now. But the respect level is definitely there because he can actually play. Like, skill level was all the way there. Like, I, I kind of watched him his whole senior year. Like, you know, we, we won 18 games that year. He was the hottest thing <laughs> in in, uh, in Ohio at the time. We wasn't, and we was the professional team. But uh, when he got there, like, we knew he can play. Like, it, it, it wasn't a question about that. It was, like do we put it all on him right now or do you slowly bring him into the forefront? And it was kind of like a slowly, like what Paul Silas did was kind of slowly brought him into it. That's a good man. Paul Silas, that's a name. I think people forget that was one of his uh, younger coaches. Um, but also like D for you, you know, you touch on guys like that were successful out of high school. Um, I feel like, you know, obviously your career, you had to deal with, unfortunately you had to deal with the knee injury. Um, I was curious from your perspective, what do you think uh, your career could have been if you did not get hurt? Because like at the time, yeah, you were probably like 24 or so. And then like you had gotten hurt when you were playing with um, Portland at the time. Like what you, you seem like at that point you were getting to where you wanted to be as a player. That was like, you know, if you look at stats and you put up your most points, you're shooting the ball well, like. Do you ever wonder what could have been had uh, that injury unfortunately happened? What what could have been if it did not? Yeah, well, I, I was dealing with knee injuries since year three. Like, when I got to Cleveland, when I got traded, I was coming off with knee surgery. But, uh, man, like, if I could have just, yeah, played, do what I wanted to do, what my mom was telling me to do, like, man, I wish I, I think I would have had a, a nice career. I think I would have finally got on a team that was winning basketball. You know, like all the teams I played for kind of like on this rebuild and start over mode. But I think uh I think I definitely would have had a, a, a nicer career. When you in your in your own words, you know, because like you touch on, obviously, you know, media and whatnot, they can always write and say how they feel about it, but you're in your own shoes and you're going up against your peers. How how did you evaluate your own career? Like, what did you think it was? And and Q, I also offer the same question to you as well. After uh, you know, Darius chimes in, of course. I I think uh, I'm content with like like my peers respect my game, and that's all I can want from them. Like when I'm on the court, I'm not a liability or nothing. Like my peers respect what I brought to the table when I got between the lines and. That's all I can ask for, you know, and I feel like I got that from them. Like, I don't know, people know I can hoop, <laughs> and I'm cool with that. Yeah, I would agree with him. Like, you know, everybody can look and see what, what accomplishments and what our averages was and this and that. But, I mean, for, for, for me personally, like you said, when, when we played the whole fire era, Kobe was the dude. And we got a chance to sit down with Kobe on our show and have an episode with him. And, you know, before, during, and after, he let us know the respect he had for us and what we did and how we brought it on the night. And the way he could describe our game and what we was going to do, that let us know that he knew and he knew how we were bringing it. For me, I don't care who you were. When you played in our era, you wanted the best to see you. And Kobe was the best. And he, he let us know, you know what I'm saying, that he seen what we were doing and he acknowledged that he respected it. And for me, that was that was enough respect right there. I mean, among, also the respect you get from everybody else. I mean, like, Kobe was the best. And that's whoever you are, that's what you aim for. 
Yeah, especially and from Shaq too. Like you know, they was winning championships when we got to LA. You know, we were the youngest team in the league, and you know, to get the respect from them to do episodes with them and get the respect from them to tell us like how we kind of made a name for ourselves and made the Clippers uh, a team to root for. You know, that's all we can ask for. Is there anything looking back, um, this is for both of you individually, that um, is there anything you would change? Is there anything you would do differently when you look back on your careers knowing uh, what you know now? Oh, it's a, it's a million things. <laughs> it's a million things that I, I do do different, but it's, it's a lot of things that I say the same. And I, like my teammates, uh, the coaches I had the chance to be around, like, you know, you only live once, you know. You got you got to live with that. And, man, I'm blessed to have been around some of the organizations, some of the coaches, uh, for the Clippers to still be acknowledging me as I played there two years, you know, and, and I feel like I'm a, a, clip, a diehard Clipper. Like, for, for all that, to, to get all that from that, like, man, that's that's truly a blessing. So I, I, I really wouldn't change nothing for the world, but it's a it's a million things if you think about it. <laughs> How about you, Q? Nah, man. I, I, I think I think everything. I'm the type of person that say everything happens for a reason. You know, you change one thing. I might not have my family or all three of my kids. I might not be sitting where I'm sitting. So I think, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm a I'm a faithful person. I think God has a plan, and I feel like this this is the way. You know, what I'm saying it was supposed to go. We were supposed to go through what we went through. Learn the things we learned from them, and, and you know now we better men for it, both of us. And I think you know we able to 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 go into the to our later years of our life with more knowledge and um and 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 just being a better people. Well, fellas, I certainly appreciate both of you taking some time out. I wish you both the best of luck going forward with the Knuckleheads podcast as you continue to grow and get more guests. It is a fun listen. I enjoy it. Um, it's fun to also chat with you guys just about your careers and what's next for the show. Looking forward to those interviews you touched on, particularly Joe Johnson for me. Um, Joe was a character when he was in Brooklyn and I covered him. I uh, was happy to see him get back in the league. I mean, you know, hey, you never know, man. Maybe you guys uh, can get a 10-day contract with the way those things were breaking out for the league this year, uh, man. These things don't be able to handle it. <laughs> 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 Done with that. I got 50 in my mind, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, I certainly appreciate you guys coming on. I do wish you continued success with the Knuckleheads podcast and everything else that you do uh, going forward with your future endeavors. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you. All right, man. Cool. Appreciate you. You got it. I also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Quentin at Q Rich and Darius too at 21 Black King. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. 